So how is everybody feeling this back-to-school week? The students are back, at least in some states. Some of them, you've already had your kids back, and at any rate, the school year is in full swing. And if you're anything like me, your body rhythms are off. So speaking of rhythms, I want to talk about conflict in this talk. So I'm going to be speaking in Rochester about the anatomy of conflict and restorative solutions. So I like to start exploring what is beneath conflict, what are the emotions and motives behind conflict, and what can we do to understand conflict. I like to consider awareness of conflict as a belief system for some people and as a matter of habit. There are some students, and adults for that matter, who are addictive to conflict. When I think about the term addiction, I think that conflict is a little bit more complex. It's not as straightforward as a habit, like being addicted to a cigarette or uh, a bag of chocolate chips or shopping in a department store and not being able to stop. Conflict is more complex because it reminds me that some people tend to repeat their family patterns in the histronics of their of how they were brought up. And it reminds me of the saying, if it's hysterical, it's historical, meaning that sometimes the, uh, the addiction to conflict for students and adults for that matter has some very deep roots. Now, conflict in everyday life is inevitable. Sometimes we have different political views than other people. Sometimes they get heated, especially on social media. Sometimes we're just having a good old-fashioned argument about our sports team or something as simple as whether a husband and wife should move to one apartment or the other. So these conflicts are inevitable. But when conflict becomes something that is part of a student's habit pattern when the student is always getting into arguments, confrontations, and inevitable um, removals from the classroom, I want to start exploring and talking about what's behind that conflict. So first, we have to think about what is behind conflict. When a person starts to get into a disagreement with someone, it's normal. But it's when the individual is unable to regulate their emotions that things get out of hand. For example, if one student takes another student's backpack as a joke, and we know that's against the rules, and we know that's teasing, and it's maybe disruptive to the class, Um, lesson, or maybe it's happening in between transitions, students are passing in the hallway, but the student whose backpack has been taken 
could react in ways that trigger their own emotional deregulate dysregulation, or they may become agitated and have an argument, a verbal confrontation, or a fight with the student who took their backpack or other people around them. So the possibilities are endless. The student could simply cry. I've seen that happen. The student, if they're overreacting, perhaps they had a bad day or they triggered an emotion in their past. Uh, The student could have a tantrum. I've seen that in very young children. They throw themselves on the ground and they're inconsolable. The student could threaten the other student. The student could run to the teacher, which is probably a good thing in some cases. The student could simply ask the other student to give it back and keep escalating if the answer is no. They, we, we can go on and on with the possibilities. And when it becomes not about the backpack, but about disrespect, then it escalates to another level. So what's behind the conflict is usually a perception in someone's mind, whether it's right or wrong what happened, but the perception is centered on either being disrespected or that they're right and the other person's wrong, or there's many other possibilities. Now let's look at the student who took the backpack. Their perception may be that they're teasing the other student. Maybe they like the other student and it's a way of getting to some horseplay. Maybe they think it's funny. Maybe this is something that they do at home with their siblings. At any rate, their perception is not the same as the other person. So when we analyze what a conflict is, it's a difference in perception. Again, right or wrong, whether it aligns with the school rules, that's a different conflict because once a student breaks the school rule, then we start looking at the ladder of discipline and how the teacher handles it and what routines are in place. And that's where the teachers really come in. There's a million other kinds of issues that come up with conflict. There are adults in the learning community that may have a conflict with a student, teachers in conflict with a student, paraprofessionals in conflict with a teacher's view of how discipline should be enacted and therefore it affects the student or parents or grandparents or guardians who have a different perception of how how uh, a plan should be carried out for a student or communication about a student so again it's perception it's of it's beyond perception it's a feeling It's a feeling, it's an emotion, it's a perception, and I might add, it's a sense of safety that is involved. So it's not only relational, it's environmental. And in some ways, it's organizational because some conflicts have to do with a lack of organization in a classroom or a school or any system. So some conflicts could be avoided by having a routine and predicting when things are going to happen. For example, when you're giving out the first day schedules, 
there could be a lot of chaos in a big school, or there could be misunderstandings that happen. So being able to predict when things happen in a regular school routine helps to uh, alleviate conflict. So let's just take the judgment value off of conflict for a minute. Is conflict always bad? And is there a good side to conflict? I think in a restorative practices sense, conflict helps people work out differences between one another. But there's a lot of work that has to be in place before teachers can implement that kind of system, before students are ready to engage in that kind of system. So that may be another podcast down the line. But there definitely has to be some systems in place to recognize conflict and to see whether, to, to determine whether conflict is good or bad. There's some conflict in the classroom that we may look at as positive. When students learn to express their emotions, express their opinion in an appropriate manner, for example, if they see things two different ways on a topic in an essay and they learn to work through it, that's positive. Now, what, are, what about in the social-emotional um, realm? What if students have a conflict and teachers want students to work through it? This can be very valuable, but again, it depends on the scale of the conflict. So my job is to uh, alert you uh, to think about which conflicts students may be able to solve for themselves and which conflicts we may have to intervene in. And I know this may sound like common sense, but I think sometimes um, there's a tendency to not think about the outside factors. And the outside factors are things like, is the school set up to deal with this kind of thing? Does the school have a safety net in case the students escalate with each other and this doesn't work out? By a safety net, I mean, do they have a peer mediation program? Is the guidance system a good one? Then there's inside factors. Are the students mature enough to work out the conflicts? Is the conflict small enough that it belongs between two students? For example, in a preschool, if two students are two young children are arguing over a toy, did the teacher pre-teach how to share and how to negotiate and how to work through arguing over a toy. Are the students ready and mature to work it out with each other? Could some gentle guidance help? For older students, what if two students are arguing over a a girl? You know, two boys are arguing over a girl. Is that something that a teacher should intervene in? Is that something that is an outside issue? Or is that something that a teacher should get involved with. And again, most people have the common sense understanding of looking at what happens and thinking about the context and seeing if it's going to interfere with the learning, for example, if the argument is escalating. So I want you to think about, you know, when you think about starting to prevent conflicts, 
There are some conflicts that are inevitable that students need to work out with each other. For example, if two friends are not talking to one another in junior high school, if it escalates into bullying, then yes, of course, an adult should be involved. If it escalates into a physical fight, again, this is common sense stuff. But teachers can do something to prevent conflict other than big programs like restorative justice, which is fantastic, or conflict mediation. Again, sometimes the little things really make a difference. For example, I learned in CPI training, that's Crisis Prevention Institute, that we should become alert about body language, about receptiveness, about what students are saying to one another, and even stance. So the way that we stand over the kids or we move around the classroom can make a big difference. When we hear something, we should probably say something. So it's like the New York City subway system. If you see something, say something. So if I'm walking in the hallway and I hear two students say that there's going to be a fight outside the cafeteria, that's not something that I should ignore. Again, this seems like common sense, but sometimes I've seen some dynamics in school buildings where it becomes natural for teachers to not lowly listen. They, it's not that they don't want to get involved, but they're so overwhelmed or they feel that that's between students. And so that's something we can do to prevent a conflict or conflicts or ongoing conflicts. I think some of the valuable lessons we learn from PBIS are important. Greeting students at the door, laying out expectations in the classroom, teaching students how to deal with a volatile situation before it happens, teaching students how to build healthy relationships. These are part of restorative practices too, but PBIS has built in strata for students to learn expected behaviors. This helps to prevent a conflict, but sometimes we really need to teach students all of the the ways to regulate their emotions, and if they lose uh, the ability to regulate their emotions, it's very specific in terms of what should we do in our class? What should we do in our school? If you feel that you can't handle your emotions, students have to be told what they can do. I've seen where students want to take the pass because they're so steamed up. And a teacher will say, you cannot, you cannot go out now. The rules say you cannot go out now. And yes, the teacher is doing their, the job they're supposed to do. But the fact is sometimes the student knows himself and he's trying to regulate himself by taking himself out of the situation. And you don't know what's going on because you don't know that he's having a fight with somebody internally and he wants to pop off. And in his past, he might have. And maybe he's regulating himself. So we need to teach students that there should be signals, codes, and secret messages to the teacher when students really need to cool down. And that's important for us as well. When I find myself reacting and escalating and, I, and a teacher is in the position where you're always on stage, there's got to be some kind of safety net.
And I've had this happen before where I'm just at the end of my rope when it comes to what's happening in the classroom. And I've found some ways to, to regulate my own behavior where I don't say something or do something I regret. But do all of our colleagues know what to do? And maybe that can prevent a conflict with a student and in turn prevent them from being called in by their supervisor or having to call the union rep to, you know, now save their job. And all of these are learning about human nature and, and learning about conflict, which is something that we hardly ever talk about. So conflict is sometimes good as in learning to agree to disagree learning to talk through things. But when conflict starts to escalate, we need to look at what's beneath the conflict. Is it about attention seeking as Dreiker, Rudolf Dreiker's four mistaken goals? Is it about power seeking? Is it about revenge or is it about escape? You know, is the conflict about, I want to escape from what's going on. I don't want to do my work. Okay. So we need to look at that. We need to look at the anger and the hidden emotions underneath the conflict. And we need to take apart that conflict and see what then we can do about it. And we need to teach students about conflict. Young students, students about to graduate, students about to go into the workplace. The best thing we can do is teach students about conflict. And the best thing we can do is have a program in which if we have a conflict, if adults have a conflict, there's some way to work it out. A lot of workplace issues in terms of people leaving jobs, being fired, uh, filing lawsuits are because of interpersonal conflicts. And we can work on these issues by creating a peaceful environment and working at it, becoming aware, having our routines in place, and sharing about our honest feelings in a positive way. Now, that's a lot of work I've given you. It's a lot of work I give myself all the time. And I have to work through conflict daily within myself, with other people, and to teach my students how to deal with other young children. So thank you for listening. And more to come. Mm-hmm. <laughs>